I'll be reading from Ephesians 5, uh, 1, verse 1 and verse 21, and then Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been preaching through the book of Ephesians here on Sunday morning, as you most likely know, and we are uh, slowly but assuredly coming towards towards the end. And as you turn there, I want to tell you a story about a a teacher who was one time quizzing her students on the great men and the women of of history and asking them questions about what historical events related to which historical figures. And when she came to teach them about Winston Churchill and they learned about him, she was then quizzing them on Winston Churchill. And she said, she said this, she says, what was Winston Churchill referring to, children? When he said, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills. One of the children raised his hand. He said, was he referring to his upcoming family vacation? (laughs) Some of you, train boarding the station. Good job, there you go. Like, I, I find that so amusing because... For that young child, a family vacation was an opportunity for family to ultimately be engaged in uh, fighting and, and difficulties. And sometimes family can be like that, can it? Being a parent, uh, being a part of a family, it's not always the easiest thing, but it's something that every single one of us has as a significant part of, of our lives. And the impact that our family has on us is a significant thing. I, I found this story back from 1978. It was one of the first of its kind. There was a man by the name of Thomas Hansen from Boulder, Colorado. Um, And he was one of the first to to actually bring a lawsuit against his parents for $350,000 on the grounds of malpractice parenting. He He was suing his parents for their failure, he said, to parent them correctly. And the $350,000 back in 1978, he believed was necessary to cover his psychiatric care that he needed for the way that his parents had parented him. Now, now, if you go into the story, this was not a situation where these parents were abusive. In fact, his primary charge against his parents was that when he was 13, one of the things that they did as a form of discipline when he didn't do the things that, that they wanted him to do was that they would send him out to work in the yard. How dare they? <laughs> and, and so it, it, it shows us that, man, if, if you're a parent, it's, it's not always easy. Family can be a struggle. And it shouldn't surprise us then that since family and parenting is such a significant part of our lives, that the Apostle Paul and that God in his word would come here in Ephesians chapter 6 when he's been communicating to believers how we are to live in the world, that he would address what it means, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ, not only as a child, but as a parent. And so for the last two weeks, we've been looking at this passage, verses 1 through 4, looking at what God has to say about the family and the relationship specifically that if you follow Jesus, how you interact as a child with your parent and with a parent with your child. And so I'm going to read to you the verses once again, and then I want to just talk first, remind us a little bit about why Paul has to do this because of, of families in Paul's day versus what families look like in God's family. And so, so let's read the passage again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, if you've been around the church for any period of time, these are probably somewhat familiar verses. They aren't probably that surprising. But communicating to children and communicating to parents, as God's word is doing here, was actually very striking in Paul's day. Because the structure of the family in Paul's day was that the father was the absolute patriarch and authority in the family. 
The children and the wife and the slaves, they all existed for the pleasure of the dad. And so whatever the dad said, that's what went. And so when you're reading these instructions about a children's response to their parents, and then ultimately a father's response to his children, there, there's some nuances here that are quite remarkable. Because what Paul is doing is, I know what you think a, a family is like in your day, but let me tell you what family is like in God's family. And one of the things that we've already looked at, and I'm just gonna fly through this. It's in your notes, I wrote it down, so just as a review, is that number one, in God's family, what we see in the text is that children and adults are of equal value to God. Notice how in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is, is right. In, in addressing children as well as addressing fathers and mothers, Paul is coming and doing something really remarkable here. He's saying, listen, in God's family, you can speak with children just like you would adults in the sense that they have equal worth and value. They're not people that you, that you cast to the side, but they're important. And Paul's saying this because Jesus said it first. In Matthew 18, 5, he said, Whoever receives one such, so whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Do you see how precious children are in the eyes of God? Because children are as much image bearers of God as adults are. In Paul's day, Children were something to be discarded and used until such a point as they actually became adults. God says, that's not the case. That's not the case. There is value and worth in children. In fact, the instruction that he gives here to fathers later on shows us that they are something to be handled with care. Not only that, but Paul does something crazy. It shows us here in this text that girls are of equal value with boys in God's family. When he comes and he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, he doesn't say, sons, obey your parents in the Lord. He says, children, a word that was used for both boys and girls. And again, in a Roman family, in families in Paul's days, girls were second-class citizens to boys. And by addressing both of them and giving God's word to both of them, he's showing us here there's this equal worth and value when it comes to boys and when it comes to girls, when it comes to men, when it comes to women. They have different roles in the home, as we're going to see in just a moment. But Galatians 3.28 says, In God's family, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that's not a statement about there not being gender. That's a statement about how the world views men and women. In Paul's day, men were superior, women were inferior. God says, no, they have equal worth and value in my family. And so they're to be treated as such. And then along with this, we saw that as well. When Paul calls upon children to obey, he says, obey your parents, which again was a shocking thing because the implication here is that mothers and fathers, although they have different roles in the family, the husband is the head of the home, the father's the head of the home, children were to recognize that both their moms and their dads were to be equally obeyed and not just the father. He, he's, he's upending this idea that if you're a child, you are to look at both of your parents with respect and you're to give them honor. And these are just these beautiful things that we've seen. And, and then the last thing I'm just going to say before we move on is this, that children were expected to be a part of a church gathering. Uh, children not only were precious in the eyes of God, but when, when Paul wrote this letter, the anticipation was that this letter would be read in a church service. And the fact that he addresses children specifically indicates that God expects that children will hear the word of God with other mature believers, that they would be gathered together in worship. And so I've said this in the past, but people have often asked, you know, why don't we just check in our children on Sunday morning and just let them stay in the Sunday school class? Why do we have them a part of the church service? It's for this reason. Like, your children don't have to go to Sunday school. They can go to Sunday school, but we definitely want them a part of the beginning of this church service because we want them to see all of you and to see that they're part of the body of Christ. And so this, in this little verse, there's these profound things, but then in the midst of it, he does get very specific, and he does say, now listen, there is a responsibility that a child has in your home, and that responsibility is very simply this. Do what your parents say with the right attitude. Can the parents give me an amen to that? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the clarity of your word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is the right. It's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. Honor your father and your mother. Look, God's word comes and says, child, if you are in the home, 
Christian child, your responsibility in the home is to obey your parents. And ultimately, you're to do it with the right attitude. And the reason why I say you have to do it with the right attitude is because he says we're not just to obey, but we're to honor. And honor carries with it that connotation of recognizing someone's position and not just simply obeying and just performing the action, the behavior, but that your heart is in the right place as you do it. So you're doing it as unto the, to the Lord. And if the Lord calls you to do something, you wouldn't do it and then stomp your feet and say, fine, Jesus, I'll do it, all right? Like, that's not what it's supposed to be. It's, it's obedience with this right heart attitude. And this is what children are called to do. And, and I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. The beauty of this commandment of children obey your parents in the Lord is that we never stop being children of God. And that when God gives to children in the church from the earliest age this call to submit their will to the will of a parent, because that's what obedience ultimately is. So the submission of my will to someone else, what God is doing is from an early age training and showing Christian children what we all need for the rest of our lives. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, he remains our Lord forever. And as adults, we are not free to do whatever we want. We are to submit our wills to our heavenly father. And so an exchange happens when you become adult. You stop submitting your will to that of your parents, and now you start submitting your will fully and wholly to the Lord. Do you see how God is way smarter than you? (laughs) How he's way smarter than me. He's like, I'm going to start from an early age giving you what you need to have a life that it would go well with you later on. Because a person who learns from an early age to submit their will to the one that God's placed in authority over them is one that as they get older will easily submit their will to the gracious, perfect, loving, heavenly father who cares the most for them. And so this is what we have, a child's responsibility in the home. And so I just, I love this so much. And ultimately, church, let us never forget our example for this kind of obedience, both for a child and for an adult, it comes from Jesus Christ himself. I don't think I put this in your notes, but in Luke twenty-two forty-two, easy to remember, Luke twenty-two forty-two, Jesus is in the garden preparing to go to the cross and he's pleading with his heavenly, heavenly father, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Lord, I, it's so hard for me to, to, to do what it is that I'm about to do, but what does Jesus say? Not my will, but yours, thy will be done. And so we're just following in the footsteps of Jesus when we as children obey and when we as adults obey. But then we come to where we were last week and where we're gonna pull all of this together with the remainder of our time. And that is because God understands relational dynamics, just as he did with husbands and wives, so now too he comes and he addresses parents in verse four. And so I wanna read that verse again and then we're gonna talk about what we saw last week but how it connects into the rest of the message today. God's word says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We saw how this instruction is given very specifically to fathers. There's no doubt he uses the word fathers, and he has fathers in mind because in the structure of the home, the father is the head. And the one that children in that day and age would recognize as the one that they owe their obedience to would be the fathers. But bear with me now. Just because if fathers are being addressed here, mothers aren't off the hook. Doesn't mean that mothers can go ahead and provoke their children to anger all they want and they're not held accountable before God. No, because they are also called to have their children obey them. So it's directed towards fathers first and foremost because dads, God wants you to know that you are the primary one responsible for the shepherding and care of your children. We are called men to lead our homes. Amen? This is God's design for you. The wife comes alongside and supports, assists, and follows, but we are held accountable in a special way because God has given us this role. And as the text here is clear, we need to use our role in the right way. And the responsibility that it gives to all parents, but especially to fathers, it comes in two parts. The first thing that we saw, and this was last week, was that we do not engage your children in such a way that makes their obedience to you difficult. If you are a parent, when it says, 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. He's calling upon us to not use our role in such a way that we engage them, that it makes their obedience to us difficult. Parents, you can use the role God has given you, and you can engage with your children in such a way because of that role that the way that you call them to obedience, your attitude, your behavior, their tone of voice, the requirements that you lay upon them, you can make their obedience to you more of a burden than a blessing. And so that's one of the things that I said last week was this. I said, listen, if I were to summarize the first part, it'd be this. In your role, bless, do not oppress. Because remember, the culture of that day, the father was, I do, I say it, you do it, you're there to serve me. And God says, wait a second, wait a second. A father's role in the home is not about leading in such a way so that everybody does what you say in order that you would ultimately be served. No, no, you have the role in the family to lead in such a way that you serve those under your care so that they are edified and encouraged. And so he's saying, fathers and mothers, Bless your children through the way that you parent them. Don't use your position to oppress. Colossians 3.21 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Moms and dads, we can say and do things in such a way that our children are discouraged. And you might say, well, what does that look like? How is it that, that we can ultimately oppress rather than bless. When we call our children to do the things that we ourselves are unwilling to do, when we act as hypocrites, our children see that. When we're inconsistent in our discipline of, of them, our children see that. When we fail to affirm and to encourage when they do obey, if all they get is negative correction, when we call them to obedience, when we call them to do something, we can oppress rather than bless. Now, as a point of clarity, do children, does this give your child an excuse to disobey you? <laughs> No, go see verses one through three. Children, obey your parents and the Lord only when they bless you and not oppress you. Is that what the text says? No, it just says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And so children don't have just the freedom to disobey or, or come right up to a parent because sometimes what can happen is, hey, did you, get, did you know that children are selfish by nature? Did you know this by chance? Did anybody? Did you know you're selfish by nature? And so sometimes a child just simply wants what they want and you could say it in the, you could not be a hypocrite. You could say it in ways that demonstrate the fruit of the spirit, but they could still come and say, you're provoking me to anger. It's like, um, no, <laughs> it's the fact that you want to keep playing a video game. It's 930 at night and you need to now go to bed. All right. And so, so just as a point of clarity, if your child's going around, it's like, well, you know, um, Dinner's done. I need you to put away the dishes. You're provoking me to anger. I don't want to do... No, you have to obey. Are you tracking with me on that? Like, kids aren't always the one who can come and, and they're not the ones who should be saying, well, that's provoking me to anger. The, the instruction here, listen to me, the instruction for us as parents in God's word is, are you as a follower of Jesus Christ taking into account the way in which you are calling your children to obedience? That's really what this passage is about. It's not about the kids coming and looking to critique their parents' parenting. It's about you using the word of God to evaluate your heart and mind. And do you see your children in your home as a means of being your servants? Or do you see them as image bearers of God that you are to treat as, as such? And sometimes we can just, you know, we can slip into this, you know, just without even kind of thinking. There's this kind of a cute story about a family of centipedes. All right, I don't like centipedes. You guys know what centipedes are, right? Those little tiny, you know, all those feet. Ugh. You know, they're just, you know, some of you like insects. Great for you, right? And the story's told, it's a little bit of like a parable where there's a family of centipedes and a mommy and a daddy centipede. They had their very first child and he was a wonderful boy. Let's call him David. Um, and, and so he did, he did what, all the things that, you know, that you would want as a child. And it was just, it was like a golden child. It's, I don't know, something like that, you know. And, and, and as he grew, you know, he was about five years old. 
and they've been, you know, instructing him and, and taking care of him. One day they said, said, okay, we're gonna, mom and dad are gonna go into the living room. We want you to clean off the table and clean the kitchen. And they're like, let's see how he does. And he cleans off the table, cleans his kitchen, puts all the dishes away. They go in, they're like, that's amazing. Look at our little boy. You know, he put everything away. That's so wonderful. And then they're like, let's, Let's see what he does now. And so they, they go into the kitchen and say, you know what, your mom and I, we just, you know, we had some things in the living room that we had put out. Could you put the things away, the pillows, put them back on the couch and everything and the, and the books and stuff? And he's like, yeah, mom and dad. And he goes out and he, and he puts it away and they're like, this is the perfect child. You know, they go in the living room and, and it's great. So the next morning, the dad wakes up, little dad centipede, and goes into the, to the kitchen and he sees his son, David, you know, and he says, David, he's like, can you go out and get me the newspaper that was delivered? And so the little centipede kid goes out, and, he, and he's gone for five minutes, and he's gone for 10 minutes. And at 10 minutes, the dad's like, he's like, what's going on? He was so obedient. He, why don't I have my paper yet? And, and he's getting a little flustered. Now, first off, as a dad, he's like, did you, did you see what he did yesterday? And now you're getting flustered at, you know, he's taking a little extra time. But 15 minutes go by. Finally, he goes out into the living room, and he goes to his son, who's just sitting there, and and he says, David, why didn't you get the paper yet? And he said, Dad, I'm still putting on my shoes. <laughs> now, it's kind of funny, right? Because centipedes have 100 feet, so it takes a long time to put on 200. Yeah? So, but what I like about that little parable, that little story, is as a parent sometimes, do you realize what you've asked your child to do? And are you giving them the right time and the space to do it? And, and are you blessing them or oppressing? They had been so affirming of the kid when he had taken care of things the first day, and then he immediately gets flustered after what he thinks is a little bit of disobedience, but was it disobedience on that little boy's part? No, he just took a long time to put his shoes on. And, and you see how quickly... We as parents, can, our hearts can change from being a blessing to oppressing. Have you as a parent ever done that to your child? You know all, uh, no, yeah, you're all a bunch of liars, right? So we've all, <laughs> we've all been there. So we bless, we don't oppress. But there's a second part of this verse. Now we're going to come into to where we're going to finish up our time today. He says not only this, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but then bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this is the second part that I think is so important. It, the first part is what you do not do. The, the second part is what you do as parent. And this word bring them up is so important. It, it's showing us the intentionality that we need as parents. If there's one thing that God's word stresses time and time again is that when Jesus Christ saves us, when he delivers us from the kingdom of darkness and brings us into his kingdom, when he gives us new hearts and minds, our salvation, it moves us then to sanctification. And sanctification is this active working of our lives in conjunction with the Holy Spirit where we are living out the new life that he has for us. It's not passivity, but it's activity. And so while we're not to provoke our children, at the same point, we are to bring them up. We are to nourish and we are to care for them. This is the idea that's being used. And we said this last week that our children, they're our responsibility. Like if you're going to parent, if you're going to bring them up, every parent must make a commitment when they see their child to say, you have been given to me by God, so I am a steward of your life. I don't own my children, but I steward their life. I'm responsible, not the government, not the schools, and not the church. I'm going to talk about that in a second. As far as bringing up my children, God has given me that responsibility, and I, and I embrace it. And so the idea here is that we do provide and care for our children. We are the ones who are to, to bring them up. But then as the text goes on to say, there's a very specific way we are to bring them up. It says that we are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of who? The Lord. We provide care for our children, God's word says, through discipline and instruction of the Lord. Those two words, discipline and instruction, they're used in conjunction to speak of taking someone who does not know something and making them aware of it. And not just making them aware of it, but showing them how to do it. And not just showing them how to do it, but revealing to them the consequences for not 
doing so. So when he says that you are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, it's taking someone who does not know what to do, showing them what to do, coming alongside of them as they do it, and then also showing them here's the result, here's what happens when you don't do it. And do you see that what we're supposed to make them aware of, what we're supposed to show them? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are to make Jesus and his ways known to our children. So that's the last part of that statement. Do provide care for your children by showing them Jesus and his ways. Can I get an amen to that? This is the aim. This is the calling of you as a parent, of me as a parent, is to use the position that God has given me to not to provoke my children to anger, but ultimately to provide care for them in such ways that I show them Jesus and his ways. We're not to train them up in the discipline and the instruction of us, but of the Lord. Some might say, I mean, think about this. Um, when you have your first child, you become a parent. And you're like, well, that's revelatory, Dave. Great job on that. No, think about this. When you become, when you have a child, you become a parent. But are you yourself automatically equipped to know what it means to parent? There's, some people say there's no instruction manual, to which I would say, no, there is. It's called God's Word. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Praise God that I don't have to figure out how to parent a child based upon the wisdom of David or the wisdom of my father or the wisdom of his father. Some of you are like, I learned to be a dad from my dad, and he learned to be a dad from, from his dad, and that's not good. The question is, does my parenting reflect, does my discipline and instruction reflect what God's word says my children need, not what I learned from my dad and what he learned from his dad and what he learned from his dad or his mom or whatever it is. We're to raise them in the discipline and an in instruction of the Lord. And so we might ask ourselves the question, like why? <laughs> why do we raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? The answer is simple, because Jesus and his ways are right and best for our children. <laughs> Jesus and his ways are right and best for our children. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but it be, should become abundantly clear to us when we look out at the world, our choice is we can, we can show our children the ways of the world or we can show our children the ways of the God who created the world and said, here's how it is to function. And, and, and by showing them Jesus' ways, think about what Jesus said. If his words are true, and they are, he said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they... That means you and your children may have life and have it what? Abundantly. You want life, my child. You want to have the life that you were made for. You want to enjoy the world in the way that it was intended to be enjoyed. You need Jesus and his ways because Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And then Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But think about what Jesus is saying. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Which means if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life, you don't have truth, and you are off course. What a horrible, think about it. Think about, just think about this. I just, what a horrible and wicked thing it is to not show a child Jesus. To not point a child to Jesus in his ways. That's not an overstatement. It might sound like it. It might shock you. But what a horrible and wicked thing to not show Jesus in his ways if Jesus' words are true. Because if his words are true, then you're depriving a child of the way, you're depriving a child of the truth, and you're depriving a child of life. And so is this a small thing that Paul comes and says... Parents, don't provoke your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He says, you have life, you have the way, you have the truth. Pass this on so that they might be blessed. If, if that weren't enough, why do we do this? 
because children are not born knowing and embracing Jesus and his ways. Does that come as a shock to anybody, what I just said right there? You know a child doesn't come into this world saying, I know Jesus, I'm walking in his ways, right? I mean, from the moment they can walk and talk, all, you know, social media, for everything that it is bad about it, the one thing it does communicate true are those wonderful little videos of children being wicked, right? Like, you know, taking toys from an early age. Like, they show what is in the heart. Children are not born embracing Jesus in his ways. There's this proverb that you have heard and have uh, misunderstood probably most of your life. Are you ready for it? I'm going to burst some bubbles here. Here we go. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, most people have learned that this is a promise, that if you train up a child in the way that they should go, when they're old, they won't depart from it. You know, this is a mistranslation, that the correct understanding, well, actually, what I'm about to tell you, you could get out of that translation. The right way to understand that verse, the way that it comes to us is very simply this. Train up a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is, verse is not a promise, but a warning. If you train up a child, that is, if you go along with a child and how they want to live their life, if you do not train them in a different way, but just let them go towards the natural inclinations of their heart, then when they're old, they're never gonna depart from it. They are gonna not naturally be drawn to the things of the Lord. So this passage is actually saying, if you, left to yourself, just follow the natural inclinations of your heart, by the time you get old, you're not gonna naturally find God in his ways. That's what that verse is actually saying. It's warning parents that a child needs to be trained out of the way that they naturally are in their heart. In fact, the Proverbs go on and say this, folly is bound up in a heart of a child. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Proverbs 29, 15, a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. That's reinforcing what I just told you. A child left to, if you train up a child, that means you go along with what a child wants to do when they're old, they're gonna bring shame upon you. In fact, Psalm 58, three says this, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. How early does a child go astray? From the womb, speaking lies. Nobody has to teach a child to lie. Why do we, they need Jesus in his ways? Because they're not naturally born knowing Jesus in his ways. You are placed in their life to do this. If you're not training them, if you're not showing them Jesus' ways, then culture will fill that vacuum. I want to share with you something that was in the news recently. It just shows you the influence of culture on children and youth. A survey was done of the student body at the Ivy League school at Brown University. You guys know Brown University? It's one of the Ivy League schools. And they found of the student body at Brown University just under... 40% identify as LBG2Q+. Did you hear me? Just under 40% of the entire university body of students identifies as LBG2Q+. Now, secular people looking at that statistic, do you know what they said? This is secular social scientists. When they saw that, they said, this is wrong. Like, I'm not saying that they don't identify as it, but we would identify what we're seeing at Brown University as a social contagion, meaning that because everybody else around them is wanting to identify as LBGTQ, they're thinking that that's the thing to do. They said it's the same thing that we saw when cigarette smoking was made popular. Culture informing and influencing. If you don't think that your child is going to be influenced by the culture, if you don't train them up, then you're missing what God's word is saying here. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. Train up a child in the way that they should go because they don't know it naturally. They don't know it naturally. I find that this calling that God gives us is something that is not just for the blessing of our children, 
but also for the blessing of us. And here's why. We know why we're supposed to do this because they need Jesus in his way and they don't naturally know it. But it's how we do it that is also a blessing to us. Consider this, consider this. We are able to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord in this way. To show them Jesus in his ways, church, you have to know and embrace Jesus in his ways. If we're going to actually do what God's word calls us to here, you have to know Jesus in his ways. And, and you, you have to embrace Jesus in his ways. And here's the beautiful thing of this. If we know Jesus and we know his ways, if, if we're clinging to his word, if he's our savior and if he's our Lord, then we're being blessed because we're walking in the way. We're walking in the truth. We're walking in the life. We all know you cannot instruct someone in something that you yourself don't know anything about. You can maybe fake it for a little while, but eventually you get to the place where you can't guide someone to a place you've never been. Now, we're in a church, and, and I don't want to make this too simple, but it is just that simple. How do you know and embrace Jesus in his ways? It's through time spent in his word and through time spent in prayer. Through his word, we know him and we understand him. Through prayer, we cultivate relationship with him and we embrace him and as a parent if we're going to instruct them in the discipline and instruction of the lord this is where it starts you have to know him you have to embrace him and so this call to follow and obey jesus it starts with you do you follow and do you obey jesus because because if you don't know and embrace Jesus, then you can't do this next thing, which is necessary to show them Jesus and his ways. And that is you have to model Jesus and his ways. It's not just knowing it. It's not just embracing it. But it's in modeling Jesus and his ways to your children. It's saying, I know Jesus and I know his ways. Now here's how you, how you put that thing into action. Um, I grew up playing sports. I enjoy sports. And, and over time, I've, I've had the opportunity to coach and to teach people different sports. One of the sports that's been the most challenging to, to kind of coach people in is, is the game of golf. You know, it's, it's something that you just simply can't tell a person, yeah, pick up, a, pick up the club and swing it at that ball, you know? If that's all that I did for somebody, just to pick it up and swing it, like they're not going to do very well at it. Instead, I have to say, okay, watch me. This is how I'm swinging the club. Here's how I'm hitting the ball. Now let's do this together and you have to model it for them because just simply telling a child to do something, it doesn't always bring about a whole lot of success. In fact, many times, have you ever got upset with your child because you told them to do something but they didn't do it the right way? And yet, did you slow down and take the time to model for them what your expectation was for them? I mean, think about it. So often our parenting, we get frustrated with children because we don't take the time to actually just simply tell them what to do, but to show them how to ultimately do it. The discipline and instruction of the Lord, that word for discipline, it involves the modeling of something. And if we are going to show our children Jesus and his ways, we have to not only know it and embrace it, but we have had to put it into practice ourselves. Did you see the news? This was about three months ago. There was a really sad plane crash in the Colombian jungle. Uh, there was a mother, her four children, and two pilots were on the plane. The plane crashed in the Colombian jungle. The pilot, the two pilots perished in the crash, and the mother died as well, leaving a 13-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 1-year-old in the Colombian jungle by themselves, deep in the Colombian rainforest jungle. And they were able to finally make it to the crash site and they were worried, you know, the kids are not gonna survive out here in this rainforest by themselves. And yet 40 days later, they found the children and they were alive. And what was so remarkable was that these children, actually they had come from a tribe in the Colombian jungle. And when they began to talk to the family, the family, while they did not live in the rainforest like they had done before, they still would take their children out into the jungle and they would play a game that they called survival. And so they had taught their children, not just told them about life in the jungle, but they had taught their children what berries to eat, how to eat, how to provide for themselves. And so this 13-year-old and the 9-year-old took care of for 40 days in a jungle with wild animals and all that was in there, the two younger ones, until rescuers found them. Now, 
just think for a moment. Like, the idea of taking your kid, like, does it sound like a lot of, hey, we're going to go play survival in the jungle for a while. Like, but the parents did that because they didn't know. They're like, this could be important to our children. And so they modeled it for them. And so my question is, do you know enough of Jesus? Have you embraced enough of Jesus that you can model him to your children in his ways? You know, I remember a story. Um, somebody had come to me. This was years ago. Somebody in the church. And, uh, and their attendance on Sunday mornings was, was kind of spotty at best. And one day, just of their own, they, were, they came to me. And they said, you know, we think church and things is important for our kids, but... Um, you know, family time is really important. Family is really important for us. And part of the reason why we don't always make it on Sunday mornings is because Sunday mornings is literally the only time where we can really, during the week, have family time as a family. And we have a meal together, and so we make breakfast, and we get together. So we don't see us on Sundays because we're having family time together on Sunday mornings. Now, if you and I believe that Jesus and his ways are best, and we want to communicate to our children that following Jesus and his ways are best. And that your life and my life is best when it is aligned with making Jesus number one in our life. What this couple didn't understand was that they were literally undercutting anything that they ever wanted to tell their children about church and about Jesus by how they treated worship of him on Sunday morning. You see, because it was a lie that Sunday morning was the only time that they could have as a family. I don't mean that to be harsh, but it was because one set of kids was in sports, another set of kids was in the theater, and so when it came to being together as a family, what had they done? They had prioritized, it goes something like this, your school, your sports activity, time with family, and then worship of God. You see, they could have easily said, you know, we're not going to do that sports activity, we're not going to do this you know, other thing over here because it's going to keep us from being able to gather together with what we feel kids is most important. That's gathering to worship Jesus on Sunday mornings. And so they were failing to model Jesus and his ways because they had put a priority on these other things and they didn't even fully understand it. You want your children to love and to value Jesus and to know that he's the way, the truth, and the life? Then make your lives about Jesus Christ. Make him the center of your life. Make him so precious to you that all of your life is about worshiping him and nothing is going to get in the way of your worship of Jesus. And yet somehow we've lost sight of that. Nothing else is going to give you life. Nothing else is going to show the way but him. And so as parents, this is a serious instruction to bring them up in the, in the discipline instruction of the Lord. Is he a priority for you? Do you take Jesus that seriously? Do I take Jesus that seriously? It's the call upon our lives. You know, growing up, I had a... I, I say this often, I was very blessed in the experience I had and the parents I had growing up. Um, something that was modeled for me was this, because sometimes people say, this is, you know, can I do this? Is this, is this possible? You know, my dad's not a perfect guy. Come to me afterwards, I'll tell you all his flaws. I have no problem, you know, doing that. <laughs> but one thing that I knew about my dad and I knew about my mom was that Jesus was a priority. I watched my dad give up promotions and jobs, the opportunity to make more money. You know, growing up as a kid, like, uh, I got to play sports and stuff. I, I played Little League. I played baseball through high school and things like that. I never owned my own bat. I bought my own gloves. My dad had gotten some of the jobs. If he had took in, taken some of the promotions, I would have gotten some of those things that other kids had around me. Right? I think you see, you know, it's like, and so it's like, Dad, why aren't you taking this? Why aren't you doing this? This would, because it would take me away from you. It would take me away from your mother more. But ultimately, it would take me away from being able to shepherd our family and to be together as a family at church on Sundays. And so I'm like, all right, I can't argue with that. I mean, I'd love to, you know, have you buy things for me and have these kind of things that other kids have. But, and you know what? Today, God shows himself faithful 
to those who follow and serve him. And so my encouragement to you is that if we are to be those who have, as the text said, received the love of God upon our lives, if we are those who've been brought from death to life, have had all of our sins forgiven, do our children actually see how much we value the Savior who died for us? And so we model it. But the very last thing is this, and I'm going long, but that's okay. I'm up here. You're down there. Here we go. (laughs) To show them Jesus and his ways, you have to provide discipline. You have to provide discipline. Discipline means from an early age that our kids are taught the consequences of not walking with Jesus as Lord of their life. See, like, just as children don't know naturally Jesus and his ways, Children, what you're trying to do when you discipline them for not walking in the ways of Jesus is to show them that as they get older, there are real-life consequences to forsaking Jesus in his ways. When they're little, it might look like a little tap on the fanny. When they're little, it might look like the removal of a privilege. When it's little, it might look like not being able to hang out with friends. But disobedience to the God of the universe as you get older can be far more catastrophic, can it not? And so why are we to discipline them? Part of the word of discipline is to show them consequences. It's for this reason. And ultimately, it boils down to this. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 says, And have you not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Hebrews 12, 5, literally it tells us that God the Father disciplines us even as followers of him to help keep us on this path. And if that's how our Heavenly Father treats us even as we're in Jesus Christ, so too you and I need to do the same for our children. And I'm going to fly through this. This is maybe a whole other seminar in itself, but it's like, what does this kind of discipline look like? Number one, it's administered in love. Always administered in love. For the Lord disciplines those that he loves. If you're going to discipline your child, it's out of a heart of love. And so they need to know that you're disciplining them from a place of love, not from a place of anger and of wrath, because They're your son, they're your daughter. They need to know that what makes us love them is not their obedience because God doesn't love us because of our obedience, but because he's first loved us. That's what the text of Hebrews says. Our discipline needs to be administered in love. It needs to adhere to biblical principles of fairness and justice. We look to our heavenly father. Is he fair with us? Is our heavenly father just? The answer to that question is yes. And so when we discipline our children, Is it based on fairness? Is it based on justice? Does the punishment meet the crime? Or are you provoking your children through excessive discipline? Discipline should look different based on the different situations. There's wisdom involved. It needs to be age-appropriate and child-specific. Age-appropriate and child-specific when we discipline I think about the great proverb, Proverbs 26, 4. It's a crazy proverb. It says this, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him, yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Wait, which one is it? (laughs) Answer a fool according to his folly or don't answer a fool according to his folly? The Proverbs is saying you have to be discerning. Do our children act like fools sometimes? Yes, thank you. And so we must understand, what am I dealing with here? Am I dealing with childishness or am I dealing with direct disobedience? Am I dealing with childishness or am I dealing with direct disobedience? Do I understand my child's age and and what's expected of, of them? Is my discipline of this child, is it specific to that child? Because last time I checked, all of our children are different. Just as God, our Heavenly Father, knows that we're different. And so how do we come with our discipline? And then finally this, this might be the most obvious of all. In our discipline, we're always pointing them to Jesus. The Lord disciplines those he loves. It's letting our children know that when they go off course and when we do have to correct them through discipline, that we're saying this is so that you would know how to ultimately see the way of Jesus and follow the way of Jesus because I don't want you to grow to be a man or to a woman who moves away from, from him. 
father, mother, grandfather, grandmother here today, even aunt or uncle, as we hear the word of the Lord, we recognize that children are valuable to God, but they so desperately need his wisdom and his instruction to lead and guide them. If you're a parent here today, you are God's provided means to show them Jesus and to show them his ways. But my prayer for you is that you would cling to Jesus and his ways. First and foremost, that you would know him, that you would embrace him so that you might model him because not only are his ways best for their life, but his ways are best for your lives. And it begins with this. If anyone here today does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the best thing that you can do is to confess to him and to say, I do not know the way, I don't know the truth, and I don't have life apart from you, Jesus. Would you come into my life, take over what I've been clinging to so that I might know your forgiveness, that I might know your love, so that I might pass it on to my children. And for anyone here today who's already done that, maybe you're saying, I've not been walking as someone who looks to and follows you, Jesus, so I ask your forgiveness of that. Help me to embrace your way, your truth, your love, so that I can pass it on. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I love it. I love it. I love it that we can call upon you as our Father. And that wasn't something that we were able to claim because of who we are, but of calling upon you as Father is because of what you've done for us. And so, Lord, may we walk as your sons and your daughters. May we embrace your ways. May we embrace your truth through Jesus. And may any here today who are not walking with Jesus, who are not clinging to him as Lord, Oh, Father, may today be a day in which they give themselves fully over to you who provides the forgiveness, the grace, and the mercy to live, not just simply as a child of God, but then to also impart what that looks like to the next generation. To the praise and glory of your name we ask this. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.